Welcome to Weed Week. I'm Alex Halpern. And I'm Donnell Alexander. This is the Weed Week podcast. You can find this online at weedweek.net and on Instagram and Twitter at Weed Week News. So our guest today is Jesse Staniforth, who writes the Weed Week Canada newsletter. And he's going to tell us about the first month of legalization in in Canada. Yeah, that was a hectic thing. I learned some things about the Rob Ford family. Yeah, the Canadian Trumps. <laughs> but first, I have a, we have a, a topic Donnell found. And this is, so everybody knows video games and, and marijuana go, go together pretty well. But there, there's a new, new twist on this here. So what's going on? Yeah, there's not um, a breakthrough because people have been smoking weed and playing video games since what? Before Street Fighter? Before, I mean, did Pong have a smoking audience? I don't know. No, no doubt. <laughs> it seems a little rep- repetitive, but, but it's gone above board now. There is the Stoned Gamers League here in Los Angeles. Do you know about this? Not, not too much about it. I hadn't heard about it until you, you mentioned it. So what's going on with it? Uh, Zeus Tapato is the uh, organizer's name, and he started the business in 2014. Everything revved up this year with legalization, and he was able to establish partnerships. The games are on Twitch. You can follow along in the link that way. He has, uh, I'm trying to think of the brand name. Uh, uh, he has endorsements. He has partnerships, and, and he's made something legit that's been around forever. It's kind of genius. It's been there in plain sight. And now we have organized esports. Esports have been on the rise for like the past five years. You know? Right. It's it's huge in Korea, I think. Huge year. I mean, it's growing and growing. I think ESPN jumped in. And um, the more legitimization esports gets, I think, the more you're going to see so, it's, its cousin in legitimization. So do, do, do people get, is the idea that people get better at the games? When they're high? <laughs> no, I think Or that, do they do stupid stuff? You know, you have to look at the scoring system. The scoring system will tell you a bit. You get points for every dab you do, for every rip you take. So you're not being given an advantage. You're, you're giving points because you're um, taking a shot. It's like, it's you're like, making it risky. It's like in Revenge of the Nerds where they had the tricycle race, where they had drunk, chugged the beer at every, every lap. Well, see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that a full equal equation there. I mean... Pot does make you better to a point. I think it's about mastering your high. And I, no one masters drunkenness. Drunkenness masters you every time. <laughs> we got to get this guy on the show. Yeah, I want to have him. Um, he's, he's a writer. He's written some things about gaming that are pretty compelling. Um, you have to be up on the stuff, I think, to really get all the references. And that. I dropped out long before, um, long before things got amazing. You know, I, I played video games a lot when I was a kid and then sort of in high school, my kid, my friends started playing like the first person shooter games and they, mm-hmm. they made me dizzy. So <laughs> I stopped playing them probably at, and you know, I hadn't been exposed really to, to marijuana at the time either. Maybe that probably would have made me dizzier. I think, no, I think it might've changed your whole life, you know, <laughs> now I play with my kids, not stoned. And so I, I know a few of the games, but they're, um, they're just deeper and more complicated than anything we know. So it's like being in the movie, you know? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, well, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like, like an interesting endeavor, you know, like Michael Phelps, you know, he, he would <laughs> get, high. I don't know if he like competed high, but I mean, it's, Prop. I bet he practiced high. I, it's hey, a pretty safe it all, bet. It's all good. I, you know, <laughs> another thing about this, this league that I find compelling, there is a live audience component to it. And they play in this, 
Little Red Barn on the east side, I think in Boyle Heights. Uh, I don't, I've never been to a live esports event. It seems redundant. That's not true, actually. <laughs> I went to a competition. I covered a competition in Miami Beach before a Super Bowl in the lobby of a, uh, well, the Standard Hotel in Miami Beach. And Snoop Dogg was there. Johnny Damon the, from the Yankees. video games? Yeah, yeah. The, what was amazing about it is that there was a guy from Wounded Warriors who was competing against these relief pitchers. And he destroyed these guys who would come in in the ninth inning with 40,000 people there because he knew what real pressure was. Wait, was, was wait, it was a baseball game? or was Well, it's all, all these baseball players competing at a racing game in the lobby of the Standard. And there were audience members like 20 feet, 5 feet. They were on the shoulders of these guys. And it was really tough for them. No one was high. We did do shots before the, before the rounds. But, you know, um, esports is a growing phenomenon. We can't really deny it. Okay, well, strange world we live in, but but <laughs> but, but but I think this um, Stone League deserves some follow up from from us. I, well, we'll get them on. We'll amazing. get them on by early next year, right? This year's running out. <laughs> yeah, right. No, exactly. All right, so let's let's turn to our guest. Okay, Jesse Stanforth is an old friend of mine from from college. He's a freelance journalist who's written about um, cannabis, but also various technical issues um, and a lot of First Nation issues in Canada. And he's been he's been following the Canadian industry pretty closely, and we're lucky to have his perspective. Very excited. We know you. We know the business that you've been covering, and it's such an exciting time. It is an exciting time. It is also a national clusterfuck. Canada became the first large nation to fully legalize recreational on October 17th. So that is just under a month from, from when we're recording this. And, well, it's, I guess, a national clusterfuck? Yes. From the first, the demand was enormous, and the ability to meet that demand was virtually non-existent. Now, in, in different provinces... Um, it failed in different ways. Uh, where I'm from in Quebec, the retail system uh, is entirely controlled by the province, so both online and stores. And by about the second week, the stores were forced to close down three days a week because they simply didn't have enough stock. Hmm. But hold on, they've built some of the, I mean, I think the biggest cannabis growing facilities in the world in Canada, are they just not online or what, what's the deal? Well, depending on who you ask, everyone will blame someone else. But I think the consensus is growing at this point that the licensed producers have a lot of stock that they are not able to make available for a wide variety of reasons. Um, many of those reasons are related to the federal excise tax stamps that uh, have to go on every product. And those stamps uh, were sent out to a third party to produce, which produced them without adhesive on the back. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, I'm not. Is uh, that at the heart of the slowdown? That is one of the many things that that caused the slowdown, and so they had to go to a fourth party to have uh, had to have adhesive applied. <laughs> Some, <laughs> I'm sorry, this just sounds like a joke. It does. <laughs> the other thing was they didn't fit on all of the Health Canada approved packaging, and the approved packaging in Canada is fairly stringent in its demands. So you would have thought that they would have designed a stamp that would fit on all of them, but it didn't. And that 
wasn't the problem because it couldn't stick to any of them. Ontario has its own set of problems, right? That is correct, yes. Tell me about those. Okay, well, Ontario is not going to have retail stores until April 1st of next year because Doug Ford uh, scrapped at the very last minute the plan that the former premier had to have a province-wide retail system. And so he said, okay, we won't have retail starting October 17th, but we will deliver things online. And nobody knows exactly why the deliveries didn't arrive, but the original wait time was supposed to be between one and three days, then it was supposed to be between three and five days, then it was between two and three weeks. So Doug Ford is the brother of the deceased former Toronto mayor, Rob Ford. Who, Are they like the Kennedys in your country? They're, they're, they're more like the Trumps. They're very much like the Trumps. Or or I would say actually like the Trump children. Like the Trump children. Yikes. And of course, Rob was the one with the charm. So um, <laughs> Doug Ford, now in the Ontario Parliament this week, his government was being assailed by the left-wing party, the NDP, over the failure of the rollout. And his finance minister, Vic Fideli, responded to uh, this woman, I believe Sarah Singh from the NDP, by uh, refusing to tell her, first of all, who the company was that was running the warehouse for the entire province, how many employees that company had. And when she pressed him on it, he said, of course, you people don't know how to do business. I come from business. This is how you do business, idiot. <laughs> it does sound Trumpian. Doesn't sound very Canadian. He later apologized, but did not uh, specify he was apologizing to her, and he didn't specify the word he used that he was apologizing for. So what is working? I mean, people are presumably enjoying their cannabis, right? British Columbia has not run out of cannabis. So that is, um, although that is partly due to the fact that on day one, I believe there were 100,000 orders in Ontario and only 10,000 in British Columbia. And the general consensus is that people are so used to getting very high quality cannabis from the licensed but illegal dispensaries there that they just simply didn't want to move to the legal system. Mm. So British Columbia hasn't run out. Um, Aurora reported that they have enough. That's a big company. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Aurora is one of the, the top three or four licensed producers in Canada. They reported, I think, yesterday that they have enough stock to get them through the next year, which is good news. I'm not altogether certain what else is working because as I look across the country, you know, there's, uh, there's shortages everywhere in New Brunswick, which purchased, I believe, a dollar and a quarter per capita worth of cannabis in the first two days. They've had these long shortages at their provincial stores. It does seem generally as though there have been a whole series of, of uh, stoppages. And the other thing is this is something that happened from a federal level down. There was so much regulation, it's so difficult to get licenses both for production and for stores that that played into the shortages as well. So are there any new cute Quebecois words? I think the, the problem with Quebec is that is, this is a province that has always been thought of as Canada's smoking section. And in spite of the popular opposition to legal cannabis, everybody enjoys their cannabis in Quebec. So they're all quite used to it now. The only real new word in our vernacular is SQDC, the Société Québécoise du Cannabis, which is the store where you cannot buy cannabis on, I guess it's uh, Sunday through Thursday. 
<laughs> hey, I wanted to ask about, I know you cover a lot of First Nations issues. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know how cannabis is treated varying from reservation to reservation, because my understanding is they're not all the same. They are not all the same at all. And in, in, and in fact, there are certain there are certain reserves in, in which uh, people have decided that they are going to continue in a tradition of having a dry reserve. And so there's not going to be cannabis there. There are others where they have decided, I think, that they're going to do medical only. There are others where they have decided, well, we're going to have this, but we are not. For example, in Quebec, uh, the closest one to Montreal, Ganawagi Mohawk Territory, they decided they were unhappy with the provincial age of 18, so they raised it to 21. And they are going to be collecting taxes for their community, but they are in a very adversarial relationship with the federal and provincial governments and are taking the position that they will not pay taxes to those authorities because they don't acknowledge the authority of those uh, governments. So I have a question. It's not just for you. It's for both of you here. Is, are what we're seeing in Canada a sort of patchwork quilt of r- rules that mirrors ours here, or is it better one way or the other? I can't really tell from the reporting I'm reading. It's the, word, uh, the, the term I keep hearing over and over and over is crazy quilt. My city of Montreal is actually a great example of that. We have anti-cannabis or anti-smoking bylaws in, I think it's up to about seven of the individual boroughs. I'm not sure how many boroughs we have, but you can walk around Montreal smoking a joint and pass in and out of places in which this is illegal. I don't understand that. How does it work? Well, what that means is, for example, I live I live very close to downtown, um, so it's perfectly legal for me to walk down the street uh, smoking a joint or to sit in the park and smoke a joint. If you I cross a boundary, is it within yeah, the city limits? If, yeah, if I cross Atwater and I enter into Westmount, then I can then get ticketed for that. Like going going from Brooklyn to Queens. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really know the boundary between those, but it's it, I it, I just cross a single street, and those those individual borough boundaries are all over Montreal, and they're all they're all different, and uh, across the country, I mean, this is something that is that is happening in many places now. A lot of provinces have decided that they're just going to ban smoking on the street outright, which medical activists have pointed out is uh, something that's going to affect patients, particularly acute patients, those who need inhalation-based med. And so there's probably going to be a legal challenge to that, but there's going to be so many legal challenges, it's really hard to see which is going to go to the front of the pack. So another interesting thing that's happening is that tons of American companies are coming to Canada to go public on the stock exchange. They are. How does this work exactly? Well, the vast majority of them list on the Canadian Securities Exchange, which is not the biggest of the exchanges, but it seems to be a lot freer. And the way that they they do it is they do a reverse takeover. So they'll find a company. In many cases, the companies were uh, resource extraction, oil or uranium mining companies, and uh, a, a large cannabis company would come in from the United States do a reverse takeover and then go public with that company that was already there or actually it might it might be that they were already public that's it's it's basically a way to raise money quickly even when you're not making any money exactly and last week we learned that 1% of all of the deals in the Canadian cannabis sector were done with cash only and I believe it was 76 were stock only. Okay, so they are rich on paper. Exactly. These companies, and not rich in, like, cash. 
and and so go so the market goes uh they will go as well obviously there's a lot of interest in investing in in cannabis but uh be careful or you'll you'll lose your shirt well banks in canada you know the big five banks are only really beginning to get interested in investing in cannabis other than the bank of montreal which came in early Everyone else has been reticent, and that Wait, is something. I'm sorry, how how is that reticence expressed? What are they not giving? What are they not money? Paying? They're they're not gonna they <laughs> not you, they're not gonna give you a loan. The cannabis sector in Canada has been largely supported by venture capital. But the Bank of Montreal jumped in early. Yeah, they've yeah. been. Um, is that controversial? I think I think a lot of other legacy bankers were looking at them a little bit quizzically, but. At the same time, Caisse Desjardins in Montreal, which is the biggest credit union in Quebec, or in fact, I think it is the credit union that all other credit unions are a part of, initially said that they were not interested. And I, this is something that they were saying up into the summer and somehow managed to change their tune. They're just slowly warming up. And the fact is they're seeing people make a lot of money. And I think that's interesting to people who are in banks. Hmm. So we had a guy on the show the other day, Keegan Peterson, with, with work, and he was talking about how much American companies are struggling to make money. In Canada, it seems like the companies at least have a much clearer path to profitability, although maybe they can't execute on it. For now, right? And at the moment, I, I believe there's something like 175 licensed producers, and the the road to getting a license to produce takes about a year, and there are 600 in line behind them. So I think when we have 775 licensed producers, profitability is going to be a bit more of a challenge. Mm. And an, an, another big issue, there's a bit of a, a diplomatic incident with, with the border where folks who are involved in, I mean, technically, I think it's anyone who's ever used cannabis, which would include up to your, your prime minister who used cannabis while he was in parliament. But, you know, there, there's a bit of a diplomatic incident with folks being in, especially those who are in the industry being turned away at the U S border and banned for life. And that's, yeah, that's actually an issue that pertains even to this convention here in Las Vegas. And it's something that I didn't have to deal with because I flew to Los Angeles to spend some quality time with you before we came down here. But if I'd flown direct to Las Vegas, they were asking people, are you going to the cannabis convention there? And those people who lied and said no were people who I understand were banned. And uh, there were reports of that on Twitter. Um, I would have simply said yes and then been told to go home. And that's fine by me. I'm not going to break any sort of a law at the border. That's the sort of thing that gets you banned for life. Everyone was expecting to be stopped at the border. A lot of people lied. A lot of people were banned, according to Twitter. I heard a number of stories of people who were figuring if they admitted they were coming to this convention, they, uh, they would be banned. So they lied and then they were banned. And Trudeau is the Montreal airport. Uh, sorry, yeah, Trudeau airport, yeah. So banned for life. And it's not just turned away. It's banned for life. Banned for life until you pay for the, I think it's a $600 waiver. And then you're restored for life? or do you I think to... so. Oh, it's still, it's a major inconvenience. And yeah. it sounds really problematic. I wanted to ask you about a story I saw on Weed Week Canada maybe a month or two ago uh, about some growers in Quebec who weren't even necessarily selling pot, but they gave advice on how to grow and were sentenced to prison. Yep. What is that all about? What's this relationship with growing? Well, I mean, in that case, you have to bear in mind that Quebec is a very 
cannabis hostile province and that is uh that was the case before legalization those guys were sentenced before legalization and uh just weeks right just weeks yeah but they were yeah they were giving advice to a major grow up you know i think it was in in the thousands of plants and in the eyes of the Montreal police, or whichever, it might have been the Sûreté de Québec that arrested them, that this was organized crime because there was a group of them and they were, they may or may not have been involved in in, in some way financially. And I, I, I'm not I'm not altogether sure. I remember the story quite well, but I don't remember the full story of what they were put away for. Yeah, well, I saw it. It was in French, and I had someone translate it because it sounded so odd. But it seems like there's this coexistence between legality and, I don't know, there's, there's a tolerance for it, but pockets where there's real opposition still. I'll tell you about something interesting that came out today, which is that a couple of days ago, I noticed New Brunswick reported that impaired driving was not on the rise there, despite a dollar and a quarter per person in that province spent on cannabis. And as of today, there was a report that said across Canada, impaired driving is not on the rise. However, police have been giving out tickets for open container in... Open marijuana container. Open marijuana container. Now, as we know, you can't just reach into your open marijuana container and pull out your butt and eat it. Although th- there have been stories of pe- people doing that to avoid arrest. Right. But it doesn't get you high. Yeah, it's true. It has to be that combustion that happens. Okay. Yeah, it has to be so decarbed. So here's the deal. I feel like there's a pattern emerging in our podcast where things grow dark the more we talk about them. So I'm gonna, I want to ask, what's good about what's happening up there? What's, what's changing? Is there any change that's for the good? Well, I know there was an outburst of happiness the day of legalization, but after that... Yeah, I mean, honestly, people... The general population, once you get outside of the world of cannabis professionals and weed snobs, the general population is pretty pleased about it. I think everybody is happy that we're not going to be putting people in prison for things like simple possession anymore. I think that everyone is happy that they can now enjoy cannabis without feeling like a criminal. I was speaking with a fellow at the convention today from Toronto who said that he hadn't touched cannabis in about 40 years, and he wasn't that interested, but he thought, you know, maybe when edibles come along, he'd give that a try, because he's a runner and he doesn't want to do anything to his lungs. But he's, he's, he said he was seeing, even in his own family, an easing of negative feeling toward cannabis. And I think that that's certainly a positive thing that, that we could look at. Good, yeah. Legalization is such a barrier for so many people. I think a lot of us take that for granted. Is there anything, any sort of Canadian rituals or sort of cannabis rituals that you identify as very Canadian besides like listening to the Tragically Hip or something? <laughs> Who They have their own brand, I think. They but, do. They do. And, and their own strains. <laughs> but 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 anyway, I mean, is there is there like a quintessentially Canadian ritual or habit? Honestly, I think the the two things that that I think of immediately, which were both forestalled by the fact that we legalized uh, on our way into the fall. The two things are getting high around a campfire at a campsite and going out for a cottage weekend and paddling out on the lake and smoking a jay out there and just enjoying enjoying nature. You do it at dusk. You wait until the, the bats are flying around, eating bugs. That's something that's very popular in my own family. Mm. Mm. Yeah, traditions handed down. Very that was that was like almost like a Republican moment for us, except with weed. It was great. Very much so. And, yeah. and you said a boot, so <laughs> you were authentic. 
Um, what else? Is there anything you wish that I'd asked you about what's going on up there? Your favorite weird thing that's happened since legalization came? Or even in the run-up to legalization? There was the guy who tried to kill the... Who did kill? No, no, no. What? He was... Last week, a man in a small town in Quebec was arrested for threatening to murder a server at a restaurant who would not let him smoke cannabis at his table. And that's small town Quebec for you. Okay. Um, that's, that's hard to beat. You might have something else if you do. I want to hear it. But that was uh, that's pretty good. My other actually, my other favorite thing was the first the first day, the Ontario cannabis store mislabeled a cannabis genital spray as a canna, uh, cannabis oral spray. <laughs> ah, wonderful. Yeah, that's we got to go out on that one. <laughs> so thanks for coming down here and of course regaling us. It was. As it is always, an enormous pleasure. Oh, and of course, um, Jesse writes Weed Week Canada, which you can sign up for at weedweek.net. And you're on Twitter. I am on Twitter. I'm tweeting. At J.B. Staniforth. All right, and that's, a, that's our show for today. You can subscribe to Jesse's Weed Week Canada newsletter at weedweek.net, as well as Danelle's Weed Week California newsletter and my, my Weed Week newsletter, all at weedweek.net. And got something to say to us? reach out at hello at weedweek.net. Can I give you the questionnaire? Yeah, totally. Okay. Does cannabis make you better at video games? And if it's a specific strain you think helps you, let us know about that. Yeah, actually, that, that's a good one. We'd love to hear your, your cannabis video game stories, but try not to, try, try to keep them brief. And, and don't forget to show us some love on iTunes. Give us a rating. Leave a review. It means a lot to the show. For sure. Lots more Weed Week news. Check out weedweek.net. I'm Alex Hopperin. I'm Donnell Alexander. Our producer is Hannah Smith and Alicia Byer wrote our theme music. Additional music is from the late, great Andre Bush. We'll catch you again here next week. Bye. Bye.